Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We got a real cool guest sitting on the other side of our Zoom, on the other side of our screen, on the other side of town. Other side of town? No, different city. What am I even saying? I mean, it's like somewhat the other side of town. She's drivable from us. I think it counts. Well, Florida's drivable. California's <laughs> drivable. I mean, it's drivable within like an hour. <laughs> Hey everyone, it's Amanda, and um, we're we've got the perfect guest for the way that I'm feeling today. You know, she just said <laughs> our our conversation may be steered towards like you know overwhelm, and when you're and I was like I'm feeling very overwhelmed today, and I just spilled half of my coffee down my shirt. So let's do this. Help me, help me figure out how to get my life together. Uh, we've got Jennifer coffee. back. I can't stand I coffee. I'm not a coffee. coffee drinker, so I don't like coffee already. I don't care for the way it smells. I don't care for warm beverages. And on top of that, people don't fucking spill Coca-Cola. People spill coffee all over the place. No one is spilling water all over the place. Always fucking coffee. I literally spill everything I'm ever drinking. This is definitely a me problem. It's not allowed in my car, that's for sure. (laughs) He's lying. I drink coffee in his car all the (laughs) time. I get the filthiest looks, though. Anyway, as I was saying, we've got Jennifer back. Um, She was on an episode a few years ago talking about... What you're you're giving me a look like trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trauma, but why'd you look at me like that? Care. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just looking around. What the heck? I wish you guys I, Jennifer, I wish you could have seen the way he looked at me. It was almost like, no, 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 we don't talk about that. And I was like, was she was she not supposed to be here? She was here. Uh, yes. And she was talking about trauma informed care. And since that episode, yes. I feel like that topic has really like blown up. You were one of the first therapists that I had ever really heard talking so in depth about it and taking courses. So you must be thrilled to see that that has entered the conversation now. Yeah, I so this is probably like 2018 or 2019 um, when uh, when we when I was on the show last and um I guess leading up to that, I'd kind of been beaking off a lot (laughs) on uh, Facebook in various groups because I had just kind of realized um, there's this whole subset of people uh, out there in the public getting massage therapy or too afraid to get massage therapy because of traumatic histories and um, how unintentionally and unknowingly a lot of professionals in general are probably doing some harm uh, working with these people when they don't even know it. They don't. They may not have any idea that they're working with these populations, um, and how important it is for uh, people in service industries to be aware of how um, trauma kind of changes the script for a lot of people and uh, might explain some of those more difficult clients and um, experiences that you might have with people that are unexpected and surprising. One of the goals I had was just to get trauma-informed care on the radar. Um, So it's been really rewarding to see there are people offering um, continuing ed programs. There there was the, uh, uh, the conference that the RMTAO did in 2020 or 2021 or something their first virtual one i think it was Mm. um and they had an edition of the magazine that was focused on trauma-informed care um yeah so it's really and then just in general i think the idea that people are really fucked up (laughs) and walking around like they're not (laughs) has kind of uh caught on Mm. for a lot of people everywhere yeah i agree well let's 
reintroduce you because as you said, you haven't been here since 2018, 2019. For those who don't know you, can we have a little bit of a a background, how long you've been practicing as a massage therapist and how your practice came to grow into what it is now. Yeah, because your practice has changed quite a bit since you were here last year. Yeah, Um, and I guess that's kind of like a a piece of the story I'm hoping to uh, share today, I guess. Uh, So I've been practicing it. I think it's, I think it'll be 15 years this July, this summer. Nice. Um, And, uh, you know, I started out kind of just wanting to like make people feel nice and, you know, share some comfort and whatever good vibes. Um, and then spent many years trying to be a rehab therapist. And I just, I don't have like the brain for being able to understand some of the nuances of, um, human kinetics and how all of that plays in and the importance of, um, exercise rehab and had always kind of thought, you know, isn't it good enough to, be able to provide comfort because sometimes people are dealing with non-fixable problems. Like Mm -hmm. they're just, they just unfortunately have to live with what they're living with. Um, And sometimes relief is, is enough or not enough, but you know, it's better than the nothing that they might get otherwise. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I think what I want to say in like maybe 2015, 2016, all of the pain science people sort of started realizing like, wow, if you're just really nice to people, do things with their bodies that feel good, that they feel good about receiving, um, you can actually help them a lot deal with their, you know, comorbidities like anxiety and depression. Um, Relief goes a long way to making, uh, oh, what is the word? When your life is less awful. (laughs) making things a little bit more tolerable mm-hmm. um that actually ha- can have a really profound impact on people dealing with persistent pain problems and and all that um so it was like the pendulum swung back in my favor and i was like yes i don't have to bludgeon myself with being the you know expert in rehab therapy when i'm just not good at it but i am really good at giving people you know, some relief and a bright spot in their lives that might otherwise be kind of dark and difficult. Um, And then I think in 2018, I started to get really invested in trauma-informed care, mostly because I realized I'm fucked up. Mm. I have trauma (laughs) and I'm not going to massage therapists because of, you know, just feeling nervous about the whole experience and feeling nervous that people will like, what if I have a reaction? And now I've got this poor massage therapist who's like, holy shit, why are you crying? Oh my God. And um, there are a lot of people out there like me who aren't going to massage, or maybe they are, you know, mustering up the courage to go. And um, and they're having a lot of difficulty with it. And there's got to be, there's got to be an answer for that. Mm-hmm. And um, started looking into Gabor Mate and learning about trauma-informed care. And uh, yeah, and then shortly after all of that, we all got to enjoy a common traumatic experience with the pandemic. And however those years have shaken out for us. Um, and uh I am now I'm sitting in my my own office, my first time having my own practice. Um, and uh, it seems like the last place I thought I would be <laughs> in March of 2020 
Um, and here I am with it, like completely everything is different in my life than it was four years ago. I think everybody, I, the world is different than it was yeah, four I years ago. Yeah, I want to know ago. how the COVID years were I, for you. I definitely want to hear that. But I, I also want to say you did two things for me today. One, you, I've never heard a better, um, a better description of 2020, 2020 than like a, a collective like calm and trauma. Like it, it absolutely was. I was home with my family and on one hand there was part of me that was like just so happy to have this time where I was forced to just be with them all the time and we all just like hung out every day and like there was a calmness in that but then inside of me I was screaming like what's going on? What does the future look like? What's going to happen with these parts? Like it was just, it was a calm trauma that that was like the best mm. description I've ever heard uh, but then also the other thing you just did for me when talking uh, you know we always talk about how wonderful it is that in the massage therapy profession there can be people like you Jennifer who maybe don't understand you know levers and fulcrums the way that Mark does but can really have <laughs> yeah. such an impact and you know Mark always says like I'm not the guy you go to when you want love and sunshine and to be touched nicely because I'm going to look at your biomechanics I don't do that, yeah. yeah so it it really was um interesting to hear you say like the pendulum swung when the pain signs people started to recognize this and i remember when that pendulum swung just a little too far all of the human kinetics yeah. people were like the fuck like why are we throwing out foundational biomechanics and and only talking about you know biopsychosocial right now why is this happening and you know what i think that's what always does happen, right? Things go to both extremes mm -hmm. and eventually we find this place in the middle and we realize that as a profession, there's there's all of us and I think we're starting to do a better job at making that brand and that experience better well-known so that clients are having an easier time finding the people that they need. You know, like your your people, Jennifer, that need a trauma-informed therapist, they're going to find you. The people that want their shoulder rehabbed because, you know, they had an injury while playing baseball and they want to go back to play, they're going to find Mark. And that's pretty fantastic. Anyway, I see, I already feel better and I forgot that I have coffee all over my boobs. All right. Let's <laughs> <laughs> So, Mark, you wanted to hear about Jennifer's. Yeah, I wanted to hear how, how was COVID for you? What did COVID do for and to you? It was brutal, to be honest with you. Um, I, so, I, probably around now, we were starting to see news about this illness coming out of um, China mm -hmm. and working its way, uh, I guess, west. Um, and uh, probably in the next like two weeks would be about when things started to get really bad in Europe and over here in North America, we were like, Oh, <laughs> it won't come all the way across the ocean. And I, I just can remember thinking like, y'all know we have planes, right? <laughs> There's people <laughs> traveling right now that are coming from you, these places. You were, the, been pe mixing you were and the people that were actually listening. I was the people saying no way, like nothing's going to happen here. Yeah. Calm down people. Yeah. Well, I got I got shown. Yeah, I, I can remember having this like image in my mind of this massive like tsunami wave. And I was like, y'all, this is not going to be a walk in the park. And people would be like, oh, you know, maybe we'll be shut down for two weeks. And I was like, no, mm. think like four to eight weeks. And of course, even that was like a modest assumption. We, we were in lockdowns off and on for what, like 
a year, two years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I grew up, I had a, I had a very challenging childhood. So this is where like some of the beauty of the adaptations we gain from going through whatever shit we go through in our lives, um, can prepare us for the shit we are going to continue going through in the rest of our lives. And I can just remember this small part of me going, this is going to be really bad. Mm. This is going to be really bad. None of us are prepared. This is going to be really bad. And, uh, and then when the shutdown happened, like I was very lucky that the person I worked with, we kind of did like a spit hand. Cause at the time I was paying flat rent. She was like, so you want to just go on a split? And I was like, yeah. And, uh, and then I think the next Monday I wasn't able to work anymore and was sort of on the, you know, the forced vacation, the forced sabbatical mm-hmm. that we all wound up on. Yeah. And, um, it triggered like a whole lot of stuff that I had gone through. Um, I spent months in depression. Um, there were periods where I literally would lose an entire day. Like I would not be able to report to you what had happened in the previous hour. Um, I had a whole surge of energy in the first two weeks and then nothing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was really difficult. And I was lucky, like I was able to sort of push myself to go for walks. And that would be like the one thing I could do in a day. I'd go for a 20 minute walk and, um, and then that would be it. And then I couldn't tell you what I did with the rest of my day. I wouldn't even remember it. Um, so there was definitely some major, uh, impact from that. And then, uh, I decided in April, maybe, maybe May, I was like, Fuck it. If I'm going to be off work, I might as well try and enjoy my time here. It's a, called it a sabbatical and then decided that I would go to university because I thought if I'm going to like if we do end up going back to work um, sooner than later, but we get shut down again, I, I want to have something to do. I need to be productive. I can't just sit around and do squat. Um, so I decided to go to university and uh, amazingly, I got in. I didn't even think I would, but I did because I was like applying weeks before the cutoff line. And um, and then, you know, we went back to work and that was strange and interesting, but it was still work. And I was amazed that people wanted to come get massage. I was like, you really want to be in a tiny little room with just these pieces of paper <laughs> between us? Like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll take your money. But not only did they want to be in the tiny little room, like they were like banging down our doors. It was, I felt like every RMT that I spoke to was like crazy busy because everybody else just went through, you know, two, three months of trauma as well. And they felt like I, I just need someone to take care of me right now. Mm. Yeah. 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 It was, it was pretty wild. Um, didn't expect it at all. Um, and, uh, and it was, it was nice. I loved going to classes. I loved what I was learning. Um, and then Christmas Eve of 2021, I got a phone call from my mom and found out she was dying <laughs> which was really unexpected um and uh that like it was really interesting because i had thought that the uh plague was like the worst the worst of it i thought being shut down was the worst of it and then finding out that my mom was dying and imminently um, and we'd had, we didn't know, I suspect she knew and just didn't tell my brother and I, 
Mm. Um, and that was just kind of like whatever, whatever shreds of stability I'd thought were there, gone, just evaporated. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I had to put a lot of the stuff I'd been learning about trauma-informed care to work for me in that moment because I knew I was going to be non-functional. There was going to come a point where I was not going to be, there was no more dig deep. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I'm a dig deep person. Like it's in, it's stupid how hard I'm willing to push myself um, to get shit done. And in this, I was like, there's, there is, this is like, there's nothing below this. <laughs> there's, there's going to come a point where there's nothing else. And so I really had to kind of cling to whatever little shreds of like joy I had in my life. They were my life rafts. Um, and this all was happening right as my career was peaking. This was when, you know, the RMTAO wanted me to do um, a presentation for the trauma conference. And I had to say no. Um, I was involved in a panel and I'm really grateful that Pam and Aaron um and I were able to collaborate on that, but there was no possible way that I could have created anything. Mm. I was going to write for the magazine and I couldn't do that. And Aaron graciously included me in an interview. Um, but there were just so many things that I had to say no to because I knew I could not do them. Um, I, My mom died. It'll be the anniversary in 10 days. Um, so that was right during reading week of the second semester. I had sort of been continuing with school but like I couldn't actually do any of the work I I listened to my lectures but that was it and I did that because I loved it like I loved what I was learning it meant so much to me to be there um and then during the reading week I had like emailed my professors and I was like so this is what's going on for me right now can I get some extensions and they were like yes of course and the psychology professor was like yes of course And my dad died and my brain was not functional for several years. And I want you to prepare yourself for that possible reality that grief can upend the way your brain works. And you may not be able to perform in school the way you think you could. And it may be better for you to take a leave of absence. Do what you will, but consider that. Mm -hmm. And I took her words to her. I was like, hey, you are a professor of psychology. (laughs) You're teaching me how the brain works. And you've gone through this. So I'm pretty sure you know what you're talking about. Um, So I, you know, contacted whoever I needed to contact to and stepped away from school. Thankfully, got a refund on my tuition. Um, And then and then mom was gone. And like, it was the strangest experience because my whole world came to a complete stall and yet everything else kept going mm-hmm. and having to wrestle with that and having to come back to work um, at some point, even though I was still not okay. And how do I function in my professional capacities when in all the rest of my life, I'm barely, I'm barely all right. Um, and that kind of catalyzed a whole pile of change in my life where I literally new job, 
new residents um, and like whole new friend group, like everything in my life with the exception of my relationship with my brother was completely altered after that. And it's sort of been this steady plodding forward while also keeping in mind, like, there's a shit I can't do. Um, there's a lot of stuff I have to say no to. And I have to pace myself because um, something that my mom left me with was, Jen, you need to not make it always so incredibly hard for yourself. It's okay to let things be a little bit easier. Um, and that has kind of carried me over the last two years, three, three years, three years. Yeah. Um, to where, to where I am now, which is like almost a bit of a story in and of itself too, I guess, with my new practice. But yeah, that was the pandemic years for me. The changeover in the relationships, was that a conscious thing or just the evolution of what was going on with you? So um, it was a conscious thing because one of the things I realized um, I had made like work decisions that were not good for me. Um, I had stayed on in a workplace that I knew um, had stopped being a good fit years before. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to you know, find what I wanted from my work. Um, and I hadn't had the belief in myself that I could have something that fit better. Um, and after, like, I, you know, I've listened to a couple of the podcasts before, so I know that my story may resonate a bit um, with that, with you, Mark. But after, after my mom died I was like holy shit I'm I'm actually for real gonna die <laughs> like that's a that's a thing that's gonna happen my mortality became crystal fucking clear and I was like I have agency in my life I'm not some weak little blob that has no ability to affect change and if I've made decisions that have brought me to places I don't want to be, I can just as well make decisions that'll bring me to places I do want to be. Um, and if I choose not to do that, then I'm just going to get to the end of it, having not done that, having continued with things that weren't good for me. Um, and that's on me. There's, there's nobody. There's literally now not a single other person on the planet that I can turn to. Um, to say like you know i don't i don't even know like you sort of when you're when you're a kid you kind of have this idea that it's your parents that are going to solve your shit for you um and i guess ideally when you become an adult maybe you stop thinking that way but i don't think we do i think we're all still turning to mom and dad at times when we want guidance and now there's none there's 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 no mom and dad for me um and it was like if you want your life to be yours if you want your life to be different you have to do something with that. Um, and yeah, so I, I had to change some business relationships and I had to be really, I ha I've had to continue to be cognizant of who I engage in business with. Do I want to be in business with these people? Um, and do I want 
the relationship that they're offering me and applying that as well in my personal life. Um, so yeah, it was deliberate, definitely very deliberate. That's a lot to deal with in, you know, a very short period of time. I know it was like over the span of a few years, as you said, and now your life is looks completely different than it did in 2020. Mm -hmm. We started out before recording, you said, I can see the conversation going towards and you pose the question again in that story of like, how do you move forward? How do you start sort of getting your life on the trajectory that you want it to be on when really everything has just fallen apart? Like how did how did you navigate that? Like as you said, you you lost your mom sort of very suddenly. It was not expected. And that made you kind of reevaluate everything. But how did you keep going and how did you keep going to work? And how did you deal with other people and their stuff? And how are you doing all of this? Uh a lot of boundary work. So getting like being really honest with myself about what my limits were, um, I had to say, you no. Know, like it, mom died right when, you know, a lot of the goals I had set with regards to trauma informed care in massage therapy in Ontario were being realized. And it was just kind of like, and I don't even get to participate in my own party right now because mm. I don't have the spoons for it. Yeah. So it was really getting clear about what I could do and what I couldn't do and having to, um, know what had to be done. I had, I had to go to practice. I had to like, um, provide care to my clients because that was how I made my money. Um, that was how I was going to pay my bills. So that had to be done. Most of the other stuff gone. Um, I stopped really trying to do any courses for the, I was doing a bunch of webinars with the RMTAO and they had been asking for more. And I was like, I can't do it. Like, mm. it's just not there for me. And I had to say no to a lot of that. I had to say no to a lot of writing projects. Um, people reaching out to me for practice advice or guidance on how to find this, that or the thing. And it was just like, Google, <laughs> like, I don't have anything for you. Mm. Um, and when it came to my professional work, um, I, kind of had to learn and this wasn't always really easy um but i had to learn how to like let other people just have their pain you can come in and you can have your problems and i don't necessarily mean their physical pain but just like you can come in and you can have your problems i'm going to do what i am capable of doing for you as a massage therapist and as the massage therapist that i am with the skills that i have i'm going to tell you straight what it is i think i can do for you and if I think that what you want isn't something I can do for you, I'm not even going to try. I'm going to tell you like, you know what, you should probably go work with my colleague. Um, I think they're a better fit for the problem that you're presenting. Mm -hmm. And if you want to work with me, we can take a crack at it today. But I, I don't expect um, to be the right fit for you. And being really clear about that with people so that I wasn't trying to overwhelm myself with thing myself with things that I couldn't do. Um I was also very careful about how much time I was in my clinic, um, how much time I was in my treatment space and um, being very careful about what kinds of conversations, you know, I might have with a client um, and being aware of when my stuff, my emotional content or whatever was kind of being affected by something someone else was 
saying mm. and having to keep them them separate and just sort of remind myself, I don't have to deal with the, this other problem that this person is complaining about. It's not mine. You just like, it's like when someone's babbling at you about things that you kind of don't care about. Maybe you do care about them, but like, you know, you can't do anything about it. So you just kind of let them talk and uh, really difficult. And just leaving it at that, um, that was a big part of like managing my emotional Mm -hmm. stuff so that I could kind of leave it where it needed to be and keep it protected so that I I wasn't walking around with this like big broken heart all over everybody, Mm -hmm. but keeping my pain safe um, from others while letting other people have theirs. And like, you know, because everybody is going through difficult stuff, especially during that period, but um. But yeah, letting other people just kind of keep their problems. It's interesting to hear you say it the way you did, how you how you say you got honest with yourself and you set boundaries and that helped. Mm. And we and we both, I feel like, ended up in the same place having similar scenario. But I lied to myself. Mm. I lied to myself. I lied to myself telling myself yeah. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not affected by this. And uh, I, I would only uh, show bits around my family and uh, mostly mm-hmm. the inside of my car saw the true, the true stuff. But yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting to hear your approach in comparison to mine. It was interesting to hear, you know, like when you said I had to say no to a lot of things. Um, yes just as Mark was saying, <laughs> I I felt like Mark was loading up his plate with work, mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. I was trying to you know, not tell him how to react because I've, I've never lost a parent. I can't, I, I, I couldn't, even if I, if I did, everybody's going to grieve differently. Grief looks different on people, but I was trying not to tell him what he had to do, but I was watching him. Like we went and did uh you've got to get treated here segment for massage therapy media. I think four days after his father passed away. And I had said to him, like, we need to cancel this. Like, there's no reason we have to do this. He's like, no, 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 let's go do the filming. And I think maybe at the time you were trying to distract yourself from what was really happening. And I thought maybe he needs that. But then it was interesting to hear your approach was like, I was saying no to things and, you know, just doing what absolutely had to be done. Where on the other side, you were doing any project that was possibly coming at you so that you weren't just sitting around and dealing with what was happening at home. Hmm. Is very different. Yeah. I think one of the ways my brother put it, because he like this all this all happened during the time when you couldn't go to a hospital unless you were dying or visiting somebody right. who was dying. And if you were visiting somebody who was dying, they were only allowed one person, not one at a time, one person. That was it. So I didn't even get to see my mom. My brother had to do all of the bedside. Um witnessing as she you know slowly disappeared into her death and um he had said that it was like being at the site of a nuclear blast and having to be in it and he didn't have any other choices Mm. and i think i can really respect um the desire to not be in the nuclear blast. Um, I gave as much of myself as I could to my grief, but I also made a point of 
not being in my grief all the time, to also be spending time with friends and trying to have fun and to also be at work and just doing my job and not being, you know, the girl with the dead mom. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really, really important to be able to kind of keep some of that separation so that I wasn't sitting in the nuclear blast zone all the fucking time. And I can I can 100 percent respect, you know, your desire, Mark, and maybe even your need and your like wisdom to keep yourself occupied so that you would give yourself small windows. I used to have, uh, well, not used to, she's still a friend of mine. She had breast cancer many, 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 many years ago. Um, And she had said to me, she would give herself permission five minutes a day to just feel shitty, Um, the full weight of it, five minutes. And then that was it. She had other shit to do. She had to go work on this side or the other thing. She had her job. She had her hobbies. And that was it. And I really thought that there's there's a lot of wisdom in that because you can lose yourself into that pain and it can be really, really hard to pull yourself out of it. Um, you kind of need to have your routines. You need to have those other points in your life that kind of remind you it isn't all the shit mm-hmm. all the time. There's other stuff going on in my life that... Um, is actually fun and enjoyable or just stimulating in a different way. And um, I, you know, I had, I had my own versions of that as well. Um, But it was, it wasn't work. Like I kind of tried to re-engage with hobbies I'd given up. Um, I focused more on my fitness Um, and uh, yeah, I tried to do that um, so that my life wasn't just grief. Do you think dealing with, something so huge and do you think it is also given you maybe a new perspective on dealing with your patients and their pain you know you had mentioned like they can have their pain I can have mine and they're separate but has it helped you or do you feel like you already had that understanding and compassion for people who are dealing with whatever they're dealing with Uh, I think having gone through this chapter in my life, I definitely have a new perspective on what people might be dealing with. It's, it's, it's amazing how often people's parents die and, uh, or, or are maybe being affected by dementia. So maybe they're not dead, but they're not the same person anymore. Yeah. And, um, being able to have found my own stability in that, um, when someone does reveal something like that to me, one, I actually do have a sense of what they might be dealing with. And they've got whatever personal, you know, issues that are with it. But I have a sense of the gravity of what they're of what they're contending with is like. Um and being able to, I don't know, that whole emotional boundaries piece and being able to let people have their pain. Um, there's almost <laughs> it's almost a bit. Sometimes it feels a bit cold hearted um, in that, you know, as I said, when I when people can have their own pain, I don't burden myself with the idea that I necessarily have to fix it or or even alleviate it. Maybe I can't. 
the best I might be able to do is give someone a little bit of space where they can be in their pain without being judged for it, without having a demand on them that they change it, that they accommodate me um, because they're in pain. And perhaps because I can release them from that demand and that judgment, I also can release myself from the demand or judgment that I'm supposed to do something about it. I can't. There's like, how do I solve the pain of somebody being recently diagnosed with a terminal disease or an autoimmune disorder that is going to potentially ravage them over years? I can't. Like, that's that's a silly expectation to have. Mm -hmm. Um, And so freeing both myself and the other person from this expectation that it should be any different than how it is and that somebody in this room is responsible for making it different than how it is, I think is kind of a big key piece to being able to let people have their pain without me being overwhelmed by it. Do you think that there should be, I think I asked you this in 2018 actually, but I'm going to ask you again. Um, Do you think there should be a larger focus on this aspect of dealing with human beings for massage therapists about, you know, we we talk about in school very briefly that, you know, somebody might have like an emotional release, but it's like something that I feel like is kind of really brushed over or at least was when I went to school. Do you think there should be more of a focus Mm -hmm. on having a trauma informed practice and understanding that, you know, people we are dealing with more than than just, you know, mechanical bodies. These are people and they're going through things or do you think that what we do now is fine and you know maybe there's a lot of great continuing ed courses or resources out there for therapists who want to make sure that they are providing the space for their clients um yeah i mean of course i'm going to say yes i think people should be a little bit more sensitive to these issues um there there was a i think it was the nova scotia Canadian massage conference or or something. There was a presenter there that did Ashley. a talk on being a death doula. Yes. Um, and yeah. And uh her her talk, I was like, exactly, bang on, because there are I've had people come in for massage because it is the anniversary of the death of a loved one. Mm-hmm. And this is just something that they're doing for themselves so that they can feel good on a day that is otherwise garbage. Um And I think, you know, as Ashley had said, there are times when we might be, maybe this kind of ties into what you were asking previously. There are times when we might be trying to supposedly make somebody else feel better about the sorry situation that they've got. But what we're actually doing is making ourselves feel better because we are uncomfortable with the degree of pain that they're in and our own helplessness in the face of that. And by accepting that sometimes things are actually just awful, they are just awful. There is not a solution to it. You really do just kind of got to let time pass and gain some distance with with whatever you're dealing with before it starts to feel more like a scar and less like a gaping wound. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of RMT, you know what? I think a lot of healthcare professionals in general, with possibly the exception of people working in psychotherapy and, and social work, um, are not prepared for uh, the 
the act of witnessing and being in the company of a person who is devastated. Yeah. Um, we don't generally in, in our society, we don't really have a lot of practice with that. Um, and you get people coming to, you know, we're helpers, right? That's like, it, the bottom line is if you're in some sort of health service, you are a helper. So people are going to come to you for help, whether you have the right kind of help or not, they're going to come to you for help. And most of the time we aren't adequately prepared um, for the the devastation that some people might see. And I mean, in massage therapy, you may not be working, you're not working that closely with, with some of that stuff. Um, not like, you know, a paramedic obviously is going to be in a completely different zone, but, um, but yeah, being, being able to like know a little bit more about how some of this stuff can affect people having more skills because it's, it's relationship skills ultimately. Right. And being able to manage that therapeutic relationship does sometimes demand that you're going to be dealing with people who have problems that are beyond your scope of practice. They might even be beyond your scope of experience, but they're still coming to you and being able to, um, accept the fullness of their situation, whatever it might be, and identify the role that you're capable of playing and keeping that really clear um, is something that a lot of RMTs and maybe healthcare providers in general don't really get much training in. And, you know, this could spin off into a conversation about how people sometimes step outside of their scope of practice by accident because um, they've recognized that somebody is dealing with something and that, that they try to burden themselves with solving it. They they cannot and they don't have the scope for and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. yes, we do need more training in that for sure. Well, I know that uh, you actually have a patient relatively soon. So I got to ask you before you go off to be a RMT, um, what does your practice look like today? You know, like you said, you're you're in a completely different space than you were years ago when we had you in here on the couch. Yeah. So where are you these days? What are you doing? Yeah. So I'm I'm still in Hamilton. Um, I have a studio downtown by St. Joseph's Hospital. Um, and the niche that I'm working with uh is mostly anxiety and stress. Um, I'm getting a lot of TMJD clients as well. Um, anxiety, stress, depression have these really interesting and unexpected relationships with um, TMJD. So I'm getting a lot of uh, TMJ clients. Um, and uh, I'm so fucking happy. <laughs> like it's it's been really amazing to see what it's been like to have my own space and just be able to structure my practice exactly the way I want it to be, um, as opposed to trying to negotiate for things that, you know, an employer just can't or won't um, do uh, to make my practice work better for me. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been phenomenal. Uh, I started in October, um, part-time in my own studio, full-time in my job, which was hell um, to be working that much. Uh, I didn't expect to be as like successful as I have been, which has been really nice. Um, and uh, yeah, to be working with uh, the clientele that I'm 
find the most enjoyable has been a game changer for me. Absolutely. This is making me um, so a excited. A lot more work satisfaction. This is making yeah, me so excited me to hear. Because, well, <laughs> and I'm sure Mark has even more excitement because one thing I do remember about when you were sitting on this couch, he looked you dead in the eye and he said, you need to open your own practice. You're in the wrong environment. You could be doing so much more. Yeah. Like, And even when you left that day, he said to me, like, she could have such a successful practice with this niche that would come to her. She's in the wrong, because at the time, I think you were working in a chiro clinic and he was like, no. So, I mean, yep. this must be exciting yes. for you to hear, Mark, because <laughs> exactly. you pretty much told her like, no, get out of there. Yeah, I think I've expressed excitement a couple of times in some Facebook messages. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Good. I'm so excited for you. This this just, it suits you. This is what you've wanted to do for so many years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm glad that you took the, because it's, it's freaking terrifying to go out on your own. <laughs> Oh boy, October. <laughs> that was when I opened and I spent the entire month just sick with anxiety. I'd go to sleep anxious. I'd wake up anxious. I'd spend the entire day anxious. I'd come home and cry. I was so anxious. It was it was really, really difficult. And uh now I'm what four months into it and I'm kind of like, okay, I'm a I'm less anxious. I'm still anxious, but I'm less anxious. <laughs> And uh, I'm making some really beautiful connections with uh, colleagues as well as patients. And um, it's just been so rewarding to have people come in and say, I came in because you get it. And I'm like, uh-huh, <laughs> I get it. All right, <laughs> let's do this. So yeah, it's been it's been really great. That's really awesome. Um, I know, and you can say no to this because, you know, boundaries, but mm -hmm. I know that there will be people who hear this just like you heard Ashley and sh her message resonated with you. I'm sure there's people yeah. who are going to hear this and might want to know where they can find you. I don't know if you have like social platforms you want to give out or if you're like, nah, man, I don't want anybody DMing me. <laughs> That's fine too. No. No, it's okay for people to to contact me and I'll I'll get back to you um if and when uh, I can. So basically you can find me Jen Fleming RMT on social media and jenflemingrmt.com is my website. Um and uh yeah, I I'm I'm open to chatting with folks who are invested or interested in um how our mental health impacts our physical health, some of the relationships between them. Um, and, you know, also if you are an RMT who is maybe dealing with some personal traumas, or maybe you know that you've had a difficult life leading up to now and are recognizing the ways it might be influencing how you do your work, um, hopefully for the better, but maybe not. Um get in touch. I'd, I'd love to uh, to hear from you. And if I'm not mistaken, it has been published. Uh, Massage Therapy Media just published something yeah, that Jen wrote. Jen's yes. got a great blog page. Okay, cool. I wanted to make sure that so, it's already been. Uh, yeah, I reached out. out and I was like, hey, uh, can I can I can I put some of your stuff on our on the MTM platform and I'll put that out into the world let more people see this if we can help that yeah absolutely that was great thank you very much for it well thanks so much for hanging out with us i know you have a busy day and i'm sorry that i spilled coffee all over myself and was late but it's always great catching up with you coffee. <laughs> i know <laughs> you as well thank you guys so much thank you right on you guys have been listening to two massage therapists in a microphone peace